show brought to you by SaaS Doc 2017, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11. SaaS Doc 17 is round the corner, taking place on 18th to 20th September in Dublin. For those SaaS revolutionaries listening to the show, if you want to learn how to grow your SaaS business, this is how SaaS Doc can help you. Monday the 18th, it all kicks off with SaaS City, a one-day accelerator for your SaaS, including four boot camps split into sales, marketing, customer success, and a CEO boot camp too. A pricing workshop with Patrick Campbell from Price Intelligently. A workshop from Winning by Design about how to get your SaaS from 1 million ARR to 20 million ARR and much, much more. And then the conference kicks off on Tuesday the 19th with 120 speakers over two days, including Ryan Smith, CEO of Poltrix, Bill Mesaitis, former CMO at Slack, Zendesk and SVP at Salesforce, Mark Organ, CEO of Influitive, and Promise Phelan, CEO at Tap Influence. Three tracks of content, no matter what stage your SaaS business is at. Scaling from 10 million to 100 million, from 1 million to 10 million ARR, or working your way somewhere between 0 to 1 million ARR. We've even got a CTO track this year. We've got you covered. Join 1,500 founders, execs of B2B SaaS companies, and 200 SaaS VCs from over 40 countries in Dublin for three days to learn, to network, to meet investors, and be part of the SaaS tribe. SaaS revolutionaries get a 20% discount with the following code, SaaS Revolution. That's S-A-A-S-R-E-V-O-L-U-T-I-O-N, SaaS Revolution. Go to sasdoc.com to find out more and take part in what is going to be an awesome three days to turn your SaaS up to 11. Now on with the podcast. In this episode of the SaaS Revolution show, we go back to SaaS Doc 16 and the panel hiring the pain in the game, growing from 30 to 100 employees in 24 months or less. Listening to this panel, you'll find out how do you find the right people to recruit in the first place, prioritization, who should you hire and when, and how you can build a company with a strong sense of culture and team focus when you're growing so fast. Let the panel take it away. Well, hello, everybody. We're just waiting for everyone to get mic'd up, so I'm going to kick off and introduce what we'll be talking about today. So our debate is on the pain and the gain, growing from 30 to 100 people in 24 months or less. Now, some of you in the audience, I know, have already been on that journey personally and will know why we've entitled it the pain and the gain. It can be a really exciting but really, at times, challenging and terrifying pace of growth for an early-stage company. In terms of who we have here today, we've got three individuals who've got a lot of experience of going through that exact stage of growth for you. I'm here because I'm the CEO and co-founder of Comel. We're a boutique exec search firm that specialise in building the board and leadership teams of seed through Series C, venture capital-backed SaaS companies. We've worked with over 67 European SaaS companies in the last five years alone, going on exactly the stage of growth and journey. So figuring out how to get it right is what we do every day. Hi, everyone. Hi. Now, we've only got 25 minutes, and we wanted to make it as valuable as possible for you. So we decided to get the ball rolling by doing a bit of research. We've surveyed 43 of the companies attending SaaS Doc today, and asked them about their recruitment plans and what they saw as the biggest challenges in growing rapidly. And we've interviewed in-depth 14 CEOs of Europe's top SaaS companies from the last few years, including those that have already grown and IPO'd and exited, such as Message Labs and Mindcast, and some of the most exciting emerging new brands from the last couple of years, such as Typeform, Wondera, uh, Moveguides, 
and many others, triptys. The results of those are going to be published on Commel's website and they're shared on the SASDOC website, but they showed us that there were three key topics that came up again and again that companies were concerned about when approaching the stage of rapid growth. And they were, one, how do you find the right people to recruit in the first place? What kind of processes and tech and best practice can you put in place to help you with that? Two, prioritization. Who should you hire when? And three, culture. How can you build a company with a strong sense of culture and team focus when you're growing so fast? So those are the three questions that we're going to be concentrating on today um, here on my panel. Um, I'll give a bit of background in terms of what you've done. So first of all, with Ryan Burke, he's done a fantastic job at Envision, Envision App, arguably the world's leading design collaboration platform. He's helped them grow from 30 to 230 people in the last two years, and what's more, a totally remote workforce. We have Rob Long, VP of Sales from Workable. He's used his recruitment background prior to joining Workable to help them double in the first 12 months he was there, and you've grown from 30 to 110 people yeah. in 18 months. That's right. And we have Michelle Coventry, who's recently joined Spring Partners as talent advisor. Hi, everyone. She's been advising early-stage venture capital-backed tech companies on growth and talent acquisition for the last 16 years. And in the last four years, as head of people and operations for two companies, Listable and uh, Street... Street Team. Street Team. Yeah. She's helped them grow from founding companies to 90 people across the US and UK, mm -hmm. and then from 20 to 110, 120. Yeah, well, Listable's not quite there yet, or Street Team, they're coming, and that's what their plan is. But last year was uh, Depop and Appear Here. <coughs> what? Yeah. Excellent growth, so a lot of experience here, so let's kick off. Um, Ryan, in the survey that we just got the results back from, over the next 12 months, the 43 companies we spoke to said the top recruitment, uh, the highest volume recruitment plans were in sales and customer success. Yep. They also said that the hardest talent to find and recruits were in sales. Now, you've added a huge amount of salespeople globally to your team. How have you managed that, and what can you show the audience? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things, right? So, um, you know, we've obviously scaled pretty quickly and uh, a few lessons learned, right? The first thing is sort of figuring out your market, right? So, you know, I come from a bigger enterprise background, vastly different than what our motion is at Envision, where it's much more of a high velocity. Um, so the folks that I look for sort of evolved over time, right? So early on, kind of want to look for athletes, right? So people that can do things sort of beyond the confines of just selling. Um, the other thing is, you know, we really look for uh, people specific to our market, right? So we sell to designers, right? It's a very interesting persona to sell to, right? They, they don't want to talk to salespeople. Um, so, you know, on one hand, I tried to find folks that had an interest or passion for design, which is obviously very hard to do with sales folks, but even if it's you know, a side business. I had somebody on my team that, you know, designed, you know, clothes on the side. Um, but then also, most imp uh, as importantly, is we then hired our target persona. So one of the lessons learned is instead of a sales engineer early on, we basically hired a designer for my team, right? So somebody that knew the lexicon of terms, the design space, the ecosystem of tools. Um, that was really important for us kind of early on to hire 
people that had an interest for the space, people that sort of could do things beyond the role, uh, and then also hire the target persona. So how did you get to those? How did you get that top funnel of people <clears throat> coming through? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So we're fully remote. Um, so, you know, we can cast a pretty wide net and be pretty selective. Although I will say that, the, you know, the, the biggest sort of disqualifier is finding people that want to work remote, right? So, you know, you, the first question you ask is, what do you like about Envision? They say, I love working remote. It's like, you're out. Um, so um, we do cast a pretty wide net. We looked, you know, within kind of the space, right? So we looked within design. And the other thing was, um, because we are such a products, uh, uh, product first sales motion, we look for high acumen or high product acumen salespeople, so almost like product managers. Um, and we did that by you know, finding lists of companies that we thought made sense, going after specific design and product communities, and sort of finding these niche little communities to go and hire folks, uh, folks from. Actually, one of the tips from the CEO interviews was create your own pool of talent that you're constantly tracking. Yep. So is that the kind of thing that you're doing? Yeah, so we're always, you know, always hiring. I mean, it's the lifeblood of the organization. We actually use a methodology. Some of you probably know the book, Who? The A Method for Hiring. It's a, it's a great book. Every, uh, every one of our recruiters gets it on sort of day one. Um, and they've got a specific methodology around how you build criteria and sort of scorecards for the people that you want by focusing on what the output is for that role, and that's how you back into what the job description is. So. Actually, Rob, can you pick up from there? Because I think that's similar to one of the things that's worked really well at Workable, isn't it? Yes. You not only hired a lot of people, but you've been putting systems in place to make sure the people coming in are right. Yeah, I think it's the, the structure and process that you need at that slightly later stage, the first 30 people, now you've probably met them for a coffee, you knew them friends, they were people you hired that you hired that you knew before. When you're going from 30 to 100, that sort of runs dry. So candidate yeah. sourcing and what you do there is probably the hardest part, but the structure and process is important as well. You're probably not going to be, as a CEO, founder, or sort of head of a department in every single interview, but you want to know that you're getting high-value interviews that are happening. So having a focus on the candidate sourcing, building up that talent pool of potential hires, but then backing that up with some structure and process, so knowing that each person's going through the same or sort of a very similar process, okay. so that at the end you can make an informed decision. And at each of those stages, so now when we've got managers hiring instead of sort of heads of departments hiring, you want to make sure that at each stage you get the right questions answered. So this is where sort of the scorecards and interview kits come in, where you're able to sort of define what a good interview looks like at that first phone screen that either you're doing, the recruiter's doing, or the hiring manager's doing. What do you need to know from that to make sure that you know whether you should progress this person to the next stage? And then if it's an assessment or if it's a face-to-face -face interview, what are you looking to get out of that? So that if you've interviewed 20 people for a few sales roles, when you get to that final stage, you can actually compare them in a sensible way without yeah. having to go back to them and ask a question that you forgot to ask five of them. Um, so it's not trying to get structure and process in the way, but that, I think, for us was, was important. When you're trying to hire sort of 60 developers in 12 months, you've got to have a fairly streamlined and efficient way of doing that. Um, but I think, echoing a bit what Ryan said, that the hardest part is the sourcing. Um, that's where we focused a lot of our effort. The process and structure is there to facilitate it, but really where you need to focus is on the, the candidate sourcing. And I, seen, I remember when we were talking earlier, you were saying that you felt there was a step change when you got internal recruitment in place to help you, because you had a background in recruitment, which enabled you to get the ball rolling. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I won't take too much credit for it, but I think I mean, what we did when we 
I mean, it was at a point where you get an investment, you know, okay, now that hiring plan that we've got the investment for, we have to execute on. Um, and we had that case, and I think it's similar with a lot of companies, that at the early stages, you have a team of 30, and those 30 go on to be the managers in the company of 100 and 150. But it's not always the case that they've managed big teams before. So yeah. a little bit of, again, that structure and process to help them, but also a bit of training on, okay, how do you do a successful interview? What questions you should, should you be asking? What red flags are you looking out for? So we ran sort of a day's training on that. Um, shortly after, we brought in the internal recruiter who was able to support that process, but importantly, able to find enough candidates to hire 50 developers. When you yeah. work back from that, okay, how many final interviews do we have to do? How many phone screens we have to do, how many applicants do we need, the numbers start getting bigger and bigger, and that's where an internal recruiter can really sort of take that job from the hiring managers who still want our own hiring, uh, but you've got a resource that's doing the hardest bit. Excellent. Michelle, I know you're really passionate about using tech to automate the recruitment process, and you've yeah. had experience from every end, from in-depth exec search to volume. So what two or three things could you share with the audience? that they could put in place uh, to help them on their journeys. So everything you just heard is a really good foundation. Thank you for doing half of my job here. Um, the one thing that I would probably just tweak is when you're thinking about, um, so basically get yourself organized and give yourself time, build that into your daily workflow, that hiring, always be hiring, is something that you should have front of mind. And one of the things that I like to do is make sure that we have a hiring stand-up daily, just like any tech team would have, um, just so that you've got that toothbrush. It's something that we do every day, and you're, you, you, people are always thinking about it, and everyone that they meet always mention that you're hiring if they can refer anybody in. But if you have the metrics that Rob was just talking about then, most sort of funnels, if you consider recru recruitment, if you... If you stop thinking about recruitment as recruitment and you start thinking about it as marketing, you're marketing to uh, your community that you're looking to attract for them to come and spend their time with you. And I think some companies have forgotten that they choose you as much as you pick them and just yeah. having that front of mind. So... The job description is key. Every single job description, so there's always a hiring data room that has a library of all the jobs that we're going to hire in the next 12 months. And I always ask for them not to be job descriptions, for them to be performance profiles. So you'd be really clear on three objectives of that individual that we're looking at. Um, what is this role? What, would they, what are those clear challenges that they're going to face and what are the clear deliverables we're expecting from them and just keep that in mind and every single interaction with them through the flow again that brings consistency which breeds diversity in your teams and diversity in teams obviously leads to higher performing teams um, but to bring everything into the funnel definitely invest in an uh, application tracking system um, the numbers that Rob was talking about on a 10% 10, 10 conversion rate on any marketing funnel is good. So to make one higher, you've got to speak to a lot of people. Um, and I would definitely put an applicant tracking system that also has a search capability. And it just so happens Workable has people search, which I use all the time, which is amazing. <laughs> Very good. Um, actually, on that note, on the survey again, one of the things that I was quite surprised at is that only... 25% of the people, it's around about that, that responded, spent more than 25% of their time actually on recruiting and hiring. Uh, 
what would you say when companies are going through that rapid growth? I'm talking about the individual hiring managers, so the VP sales and customer success or the, the head of marketing. What percentage of their time should they be focusing on it? Way more. I mean, you've got... The, the best talent are going to have multiple offers and, or they're not even looking, so you're having to woo them. And therefore, you have to do social stuff with them. You, you've got to travel to, to go and meet with them, whether that's if you're just landing in the States, that's two or three... You know, I don't think people actually realise it takes a lot of time. And, and in the funnel process, even if you've got an in-house recruiter doing all of the process stuff, you've probably got a... It's a team sport, so you've got the opportunity cost of them not doing their day job and doing hiring instead. If you totted up the numbers, we're talking about hundreds of hours if you're going from 30 to 100. Yeah. And that's what you need to build in. Make it an OKR. I mean, all of the companies that we've successfully scaled... Um, have had hiring as an OKR, which is an objective key result. Good. Thank you. So, some really good ideas there. What about prioritisation then? Um, this is one I'm really passionate about because I've seen a lot of companies who've hired too quickly and then they're <coughs> burning cash on salaries before the, the businesses are really ready to, to use those people to the best advantage. But if you leave it too late, then you could stand the chance of missing your growth plans and all together. So, Ryan, you built a number of teams. Yep. What have you learned over the years in terms of who to hire when? Yeah, I mean, I think it you know, depends, again, a little bit on kind of what your model is. But for us, you know, being you know, high velocity, you know, very data-driven, one of the, probably one of the mistakes that I made was hiring you know, sales operations a little too late, right? So I had a five-person sales team, and I started to recruit for sales operations, and I was like, wait a minute, this is a little too early. Um, the next thing you know, I had a 15-person team, and I was like, oh, shit, this is a little late, right? Because for SaaS companies where they're so metric-driven, like that baseline data that you're going to be making the decisions off of is so important, right? So I would definitely err on the side of hiring a role like sales operations or somebody with that mindset um, earlier than you probably think. Uh, I would say the same goes for... Um, customer success, right? So we sort of evaluated when and how we should be hiring customer success, sort of. Um, but that post-sale experience, somebody mentioned it earlier, just the, the power of kind of the onboarding within the product, like customer success can help nurture that. So it was really important. I sort of prioritized customer success probably earlier than maybe some folks wanted to. Um, and that really worked out, especially for, again, for a product like ours, where it's much more about, um, you know, educating than it is about selling. Right? Mm -hmm. And customer success has that sort of persona where they don't necessarily come in as the salesperson sort of pushing for the MSA or for the, uh, the sales order. Um, and that sort of bleeds throughout my organization, like my whole team. Like that's one of our values is even like just you educate, you don't sell. Right? Just put the product in their hands, nurture them, educate them on use cases. Um, so you know, prioritizing, I would say, the sales ops and the customer success was two sort of lessons learned. Okay. And... Um Rob, in terms of top-down, we were having a discussion earlier about do you hire the doers first or the leaders? What's your perspective on that? So I think if you take what we've done at Workable as sort of, I guess, what I would agree with, we probably hired those doers first. Um, and actually it sort of touches back on what Ryan was saying in terms of hiring that sort of user persona. Um, so when I was hired into Workable, my background isn't 
sales in SaaS. I was a recruiter, so I was that person who sort of had an idea about the area, had a sort of passion for what we were doing, a little bit of sort of transferable skills to take it in. So that was, that's exactly how I was hired, and it was the doer. It was, yes, do sales, but you know what, do a bit of this and a bit of that. I think if you ask Nikos, the, the founder and CEO, as you've got a bit bigger, so when you've got to that sort of 30, 70, 80 mark, he has to then start prioritizing where he can help teams the most. So yeah. finance. He's not a finance guy. He needs someone to be able to take finance and he can leave that. So you hire a CFO. When it comes to sort of sales and marketing with his background, that's probably where he can have more of an impact. So perhaps he doesn't need to hire that sort of super senior person there just yet. And so I think knowing your own strengths and knowing where you need to be able to bring people into support and where you can provide that assistance is, is important. And it's not as easy as it might seem. Uh, to be able to do that. Okay, good. Um, Michelle, you've seen a lot of companies and yeah. advised a lot of companies. Um, what would you think would be two or three things that you could tell the audience that they should keep front of mind in terms of who should they hire, when, what audit? So one of the things that we do pre-funding at Spring Partners is a hiring session and founders come in and they'll whiteboard their existing organisation and then we'll map that with the OKRs that they've set out for what they're going to use the funding for um, and project that onto what a team might look like in the next 9 to 12 months and then link that with the financials so you actually end up with a joined up okay. image of what the company can look like and very often, having done many of these now, you find that it's very different depending on the founder DNA. So where their background is, where their strengths are, and also, like you say, everyone's so different and, and not so self-aware about where their strengths are. But certainly the overarching theme is um, individual contributors or at least um, hire someone that can stretch or, or someone who is going to take you to that next level. So if you're going through to be round, what does that person look like? As long as they can actually come down to the detail of being an, an initial individual contributor first before they bounce up into a management or leadership role. Um, but I would say overwhelmingly the only function <coughs> that we haven't gone big on probably at the C level straight off the bat has been marketing, where growth marketing, technical marketing seems to be a priority over hiring someone that can build the brand. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that's just something that I've, I've seen. I don't, I don't know whether there's a formula around that or not, but, but it really comes back to the founder's strengths and the founding team's strengths. So doers first keep a good perspective on what the strengths are in the founding team. Yeah. And then as soon as you start to get to scale, start complementing the gaps. Get senior people who fill the gaps. And as a founder, make sure that you recognise that probably you're trying to do something that's going to disrupt something. And at some point, you've got to stop inventing and start leading that team and, mm. and let give them the autonomy and freedom to experiment and be the, the talent that you have hired and attracted in, let them go make their own mistakes. Actually, that was another thing, and you haven't seen this yet, but in the, the CEO <laughs> surveys and reviews, another one of the, the five key learnings was um, allowing the people that you hired to do the job that you've hired them for. And yes. it's, uh, the CEOs talked, it's, it's good insight about the difficulty that they've had sometimes in when to let go yeah. and just say, you're leading this department. And giving them the best environment it. to do their best work. And it's not, it's not cliched, it's genuinely making that happen. You should spend time about understanding how you're going to deliver that to them to, to bring the whole company up. 
Thank you. Okay. Um, so company culture then. Uh, out of all the questions that we asked, this was the strongest. I think 93% said it was one of the, the key things that they saw as critical to the ongoing success of the company. Um, but what does it actually mean? No. Ryan, is it all about keeping the beer fridge full and having a foosball table in the office? Or? Yeah, I mean, for us, we, you know, fully remote, there's no, <laughs> there's no beer fridge. Um, but, uh, you know, I would say for us being fully remote, like culture is super important, right? Because especially sales, fully remote teams, you know, you can, you can sort of address the collaboration and the communication through technology, right? We live in Slack. We have all the tools in the world. Um, so that really means you got to focus on the culture, and especially you know millennials, where you are pulling them from these big companies where they have the ping pong table and all that stuff, um, they get a little skittish about this, you know, the the remote environment. So you really have to focus and cater to that. And we do, you know, employee based rewards. We have Slack channels to talk about Game of Thrones. We do, you know, virtual happy hours, which are as sad as they sound, but they, uh, you know, people people like them. Um, so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think culture is really important. You know, for me, I mean, life's too short, right? I almost think like it's like that airport test, right? If you don't want to be stuck in the airport with somebody, you know, overnight, you know, it's not worth hiring them, right? So we really build that into the uh, uh, into the hiring profile as well. Good, thank you. We've got to be a little bit quicker on yeah. this one. So, um, at Workable, what do you think are some of the key things that have allowed you to create a really good sense of team focus and comfy culture? Because you're quite geographically dispersed as well, aren't you? Yeah, but I mean, particularly within MySense, we've now got two main hubs in Boston and Athens, but we've got remote people there as well. And you have to be aware, like one of my team is in Portland, he's always been remote, but there is two hubs. So okay. actually he's not fully remote, like Envision, so we have to think about that. You have to sort of make time in your week to chat with him, not just about work. It's simple things like that, but I think a lot of people worry about how you do culture. Like, how do we do this thing? <laughs> yeah. How do we write it down? But actually, whilst they're worrying about how they do it, it's just happening. It's how you work day to day. It's how you've designed the office to provide an environment in which people work. It's how you either reward people, how you're meritocratic. It's, it's that sort of thing that's happening whilst people are worrying and filling in a survey hmm. saying, oh, we don't know how to do it. <laughs> it's, always, it's always there. And it tends to, at this stage, come from the founders. Um, and I think then when you've kind of come out of a very quick growth period, you then go, you look back and go, ah, the culture has remained. We didn't have to perhaps work so hard at it. Um, but then maybe when there's 100 people, you start thinking, but hiring is important. That, that test of would you want to sit down and go for a beer with someone, sit in an airport with someone, have dinner with someone, that is, that is important not to forget, especially when you're hiring fast and you think, ah, I need five people now, ah, these will do. <laughs> it's, that's a trap to fall into. Okay, thank you. And Michelle, um, in the last minute and a half, what would you say, <laughs> from all the companies that you've advised, which one stands out and as uh, having really built a strong culture? And what do you think was behind that? So maybe it stands out because it's the most recent one as well. But um, Street Team have they they use the they have a row culture, which is a results-only working environment. And um, this means that you have freedom to experiment as long as you hit your targets. So how you work and when you work is entirely up to you. 
Okay. And they talk about that extensively. And it does, particularly for the millennials, they absolutely love it. And the more you say, oh, you don't have to come into the office, the more they draw together and the more they come together, and then they create the, 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 the culture. Um, so I'm really proud of them, the fact that they have made a very different step change stance. And they passionately believe and advocate this whole performance-based hiring methodology, which has resulted in them having that. So they went out, they, they created a system, they hired against that system. If, if someone wasn't fitting their culture, they didn't feel that they would fit. It was a no hire and they were brave enough to say no hire. Hmm. Certainly one of the things that I've seen is, as founders, they go out, you raise this money, you've got cash in the bank, and then you've got this big plan to go out and scale to 100 people. Well, sometimes 100 people can be a vanity metric, and actually just make sure that you actually need those 100 people, and, and be precise about what they're actually going to do, because I think as I think long as a team... I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I just said, yeah. as long as there's a clear purpose, and there's a mission, you'll be able to hire with no problem. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, actually, for spending your time. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. Thank you. Thank you. So, coming up next, we've got a really good follow-on to this, actually. It's the biggest mistakes we made in growing a $12 million ARR SaaS business and how you can avoid it. So, we've got Peter Coppinger, founder, CEO, and lead developer of Teamwork.com. Thanks. Don't forget, listeners to the SaaS Revolution Show, you can get a 20% discount on tickets to the SaaS Doc 2017 conference with discount code SASREVOLUTION.